Thank you, Mark. Thank you, worship team. It's great to come before the Father at the beginning of the week and to worship Him. Welcome to uh, Plainfield Christian Church. We're glad that you are here and uh, worshiping the Father together. And I, I guess I should introduce myself to you. Some of you may not know me. If you've been uh, are new to Plainfield Christian Church, I'm Tim Gephardt. I am one of the associate ministers here on staff at Plainfield Christian Church, but I oversee the reunion campus that meets at the Plainfield Middle School. So we worship at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning and uh, rock it out a little bit and just enjoy just uh, being the community, uh, being with together uh, together and worshiping the Lord and serving Him in the community. Um, we are just continuing a new series through the book of Romans about world impact, the global impact. How do, how do we as a church in Plainfield, Indiana make an impact? Well, it, it begins with the heart. Okay, so I, I got to ask a question here. So how many of you are heartbreakers in here? Go ahead and raise them up. How many of you broken someone's heart? Go ahead. Guys, raise them up high. Guys, look, ladies, look at those heartbreakers. You believe them? I don't know. I don't know. Ladies, raise them up. How many of you ladies? Raise them up. I broke somebody's heart. Right? I, I believe that. I can, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah, you know, you know it's a, I know you wouldn't believe this, that this face could be a heartbreaker, but it, it has in, in its past. As a matter of fact, it's, it was my, my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, uh, but we were dating, had been dating about a year. And, and uh, I mean, just, and we were in college, this wasn't high school, so this is our, like, our freshman year in college, and just, just kind of, I, I fell in love. I, 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 the longer we were together, the more I was in love with my wife, her name is Beth, and just, this grew to love her, and then about that, coming close to about that year mark or, or so, I got what we guys, some guys get, and maybe some ladies get as well, uh, which is this, I knew I loved her, but I was like right at this edge of a cliff, and it was sort of like, if I jump off the cliff, it's like this, Beth is the one for me forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, to echo. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is it. She's the one and only, or I could walk away from that cliff and see who else might be out there. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, is she the one for me or not? And do I want it? Because if I, the next step of this is engagement and marriage and all this other kind of stuff. You're saying after a year, let's just say it was a different time period, okay? It was the 80s, whatever that means. I don't know, but that was my, my generation. And so, so Beth knew something was wrong. We had some tensions. I wasn't having, whatever. I'm a guy. I don't communicate. So she, she asked this question that no lady should ever ask. So girls, if you've got a boyfriend, don't ask this question because you probably won't like the answer. Because she asked me this question well, what do you think? Should we break up? And I said, yes, I do. And she began to cry. And I began to realize I screwed up. <laughs> I began to cry. She left. As a matter of fact, for those students who have been at Milligan College, anybody stayed at Hart Hall? Girls, have you ever stayed at Hart Hall? Anybody that's in here? State of Heart, surely someone stated our Heart Hall. It happened in the lobby of Heart Hall. This is where that took place. So for those can picture, I can still picture this. She stomps out. I'm left sitting there going, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. And yet, you know, I'm like, I knew that I needed to do this. I knew I needed some space. I knew I needed to, to, to kind of think through all of this. And so she was crying. I went back to my dorm. I was 
crying. I was upset. I was mad and, and, and myself, not at her. It wasn't her fault. It was me. I was like, I, I, what have I done? I, I can't believe that now, you know, when I, when I go to lunch and breakfast tomorrow, she, she's not going to sit with me. It's not like, hey, it's like nothing really happened. That's not going to go over. You know, who am I going to walk with? Who am I going to talk with? What, how is this all going to play out? And I began to realize what vital role she was in my life. And I, and I just anguished. My heart was broken. Her heart was broken. And I got a message through a friend because we didn't have texting then. So uh, no texting. So she said, come back up to the dorm. I'm like, okay, well, maybe, I don't know. How's this going to play out? Is this, I shouldn't go back up to the dorm. I don't know. So as I approach the dorm and go up the steps of Hart Hall, the doors swing open and it's Beth. And she has a box. The box. <laughs> and if you don't know what the box is, hang on, I'm going to tell you what the box is. Because the box was filled with all my stuff I had given to her in that year. The little stuffed animal, the little whatever, whatever, the little notes, everything that had, anything that had my fingerprints on it had been cleaned out of her dorm room. And she gave me this box. And she looked me square in the eyes and she said these words to me. I remember them to this day. And if you find my wife and ask her, she'll say, yes, she said this. So here it is, Beth, quote, if I never love again, at least I've loved once. <laughs> oh, just, I mean, <laughs> turn, stomp on me. I deserve it, you know? I did. I deserved it. I deserved everything that she, she dished out that day and just, I mean, it just crushed me. And so she cried. I mean, we would, we, I, I, I couldn't think about school. We had classes together. That did not go over well. It's like, I, it's like I couldn't even look at her. She definitely wouldn't. She wasn't looking at me, that's for sure. And, and, and after a few weeks of just processing and processing, I got to the part like, man, I, I need her. I, I do need her. I, this is broken. I'm broken. She's broken. I do, I do need you. I, I, I come to a point where I know I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I, I want to do this. But of course, now I've broken her heart. So trust, you know how that trust is eh, it's bent pretty hard. And so I said to myself and thought to myself, I, I need to pursue her. I want her to know I want to fix this. I want her to know she can trust me. I wanted her to know that, that, that what I was processing through, and I, we, I had to go through this in order to come to the realization of, of my depth of my love and desire for her and to be restored back to her. And I was patient, and it was not easy. Believe me, it was not easy. But I was patient because I knew she was worth it. And I began to win her heart again. And then to make a long story shorter, everything that occurred of the breakup, which was my fault, occurred in April... By August of that same year, we were engaged. And we've been married 35 years. So that's the great part of the story. But this is the point. When the heart is broken, and when we realize our heart is broken, it moves us from where we are to someplace different. Even if our heart is broken, we, we want to fix it. We want to make it right. It eats away at us. It's, it's stuck in our head. We can't get it out of our mind because we're driven by it. We're driven to do something about it when our heart is truly broken. 
And there's a part of us that's a God part of us that drives us to that. And that's what we see in Paul in Romans 9. If you open your Bibles there, if you would, to this text, Romans 9, verses 1 through 5, is what we're going to look at this morning. And as, as go ahead and open your Bibles or your phones and whatever you may have in order to, to read God's word. It's valuable to us. It leads us. It guides us. It challenges us. And it will challenge us today. Paul, here in this letter to the church in Rome, takes a different tone in verse 1. It's almost as if he finishes the eighth chapter, and as he's finished it, he has been swept by the Spirit into the presence of the throne room itself, and he is overwhelmed by the love of God. It's an incredible place. Nothing can separate us. The love of God is rich, and it's good, and it's everlasting, and nothing can take that away from us. And God's love that pursues us and all of that. And, and then Paul is standing there before the throne room and just, and just absorbing that which Christ gives to those who love him back. And it's just a beautiful image. And it's all of a sudden in 9 verse 1, it's as if Paul in his celebration turns around to see who has followed him. And he sees no one. He sees it's empty. Especially he sees his own people. And this is what he writes upon what that which his heart and soul sees and knows. He writes this, follow along, Romans 9, 1 through 5. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. But in this tone, you see and hear Paul's broken heart for the broken world. You see, Paul was sent to the Gentile world, not to his own people per se. And yet, when he went to the Gentile world, into Rome, into Ephesus, when he went into these cities, he confronted a world that didn't know about God. He confronted a world that worshipped idols and worshipped stones and, and worshipped multiple gods that, that their worldview was a view of not of one true God, the designer and creator of all heavens and earth. When Paul looked upon them, he understood why there was brokenness. He understood why they didn't follow God because they hadn't heard of him yet. They haven't known of him yet. He, they, they didn't know where the prophecies of old that a Messiah would come. They had never had the concept of salvation and forgiveness. They never even understood the idea of sin before. And that's what the gospel was about, to reveal our need and to reveal the plan and God's plan to redeem the world back to himself because it was broken. And because God's heart was broken, he was moved to do something about it, which was to give his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that we may be brought back, that we may be restored, that that which we broke may be made whole. Again, and this is this picture for Paul here as he reaches and he looks to the Israel nation as this broken heart. Notice the words he used to describe how he responded to the nation of Israel, his own people. This unceasing anguish. In other words, it's not fleeting. Because a lot of things we have 
today emotionally is fleeting, right? How many times have you gone and sat in a church and heard a sermon and go, man, I, I'm, wow, Lord, you're right. I'm going to do something for you this week. And so I'm going I'm to commit to doing, um, uh, I'm going to do something for my wife or I'm going to do something for my neighbor. I'm going to do something, Lord. And by Tuesday, you're going, now, Lord, I was supposed to do something for you. What? Oh, well. That's fleeting. In other words, I'm moved momentarily. But Paul says this is an unceasing. In other words, he can't escape it. Wherever he goes, wherever he looks, he sees the eyes of people who need Jesus Christ, and he's moved by that. And it's heavy. He uses this word anguish. That, that's not just sad. It's like, man, that's just too bad. That's how we kind of respond to the world when people are our friends that don't know Jesus. And that's just too bad. And we just kind of go on as if it really doesn't matter when it really does matter eternally. But he says he has this anguish. It's a deep grief. It's, it's something that affects your body. It affects your mind. It affects everything about you. And it drives you and it moves you to do something that will change the circumstances. You see, this is this grieving. This grieving in Paul's heart is what, what over the rejection of Christ, which moved him to sacrifice his own life in order to carry out the gospel. It's, it's the same grieving that was shared by the missionaries of old. I, I think of Hudson Taylor who went into China into the 1800s. He was grieved over the need of a people who had not heard of Christ. I, I think of Jim Elliott, who went to Ecuador and lost his life to the natives in order that they may understand grace and forgiveness. I, I think of Austin and Amanda Gagno, who, who served now. Amanda came on staff here quite a few years ago when she's just out of college, out of Ozark. She graduated from Ozark. Grew up in California, went to school in Ozark, which is in Joplin, Missouri. Took a job in Plainfield, Indiana. And when she had no clue when she said yes to a job here that she would end up in West Africa. Why? Because her heart was broken enough to say, I'll go. I'll marry you, Austin. And I will go to northern Ghana and to the regions to share the gospel into a world of Muslims and those who still today worship their ancestries and worship trees and worship those things around them. I've seen them. I've seen the idols. And they bow to them. Because of a broken heart, they move. I think of Ryan and Sarah Hardy, Ryan who grew up here, who right now, um, they've gone back now, or are, are, are in Canada, continuing their education, and a year from now are planning to go to Papua New Guinea to live in the bush with their children. One's on the way. Why would you do that? Because their heart's been broken. Their eyes have seen. And they, they've had to do something to restore, which, is, which has been broken. They've been called to do that. And so this text, when I look at Paul's heart, I have, to, I have to pull up the mirror of the scriptures. And I have to go, where am I? Don't we? We have to say, where is my heart when it comes to the lost? Where is my heart with, with my friends who don't know, know Christ at school? Where is my heart for the teachers who don't know Christ at school? Where is it my heart for my own family members? Where is my heart at for those across the street who live, who live next to me that have lived there for years I've never talked to? Maybe they're from a different country. Maybe they speak a different language. Maybe they're liberal. Maybe they're conservative. Maybe, maybe you have a neighbor that's 25 and you're going, man, I just don't, I don't understand them. And, you know, they're young and they don't understand. And maybe you're 25 going, man, my neighbor is old. They do not know technology. They do not know my world. I am not crossing over to them and getting to know them because we just are from two different worlds, right? Wrong. Wrong. 
Those are all barriers that are man-made. Those are barriers that Satan throws up. Those are barriers that we allow ourselves to draw fences and lines and keep us. And what it does, it turns my heart, instead of being soft, instead of being compassionate, instead of being understanding, it becomes hard. Because isn't that how our heart kind of can get turned with the lost? Watch the news. Just give yourself a test. Watch the news, all of it. Not just a few minutes and turn on all of it. Or listen to a radio broadcast. I don't care which one, conservative, liberal, I don't care. And then do a heart check. Has your heart just been benefited and softer towards people that you rub elbows with or has it become harder? Have you come to conclusions? Have we judged? I think too many times in the midst of our journey with Christ in this world and the longer we journey with Christ for those who've been with him a long time, too often we think we have soft hearts, but I can tell you my own heart, there's too many calluses on it. And it gets too hard. And it needs to get busted. My heart needs to come alive again. Our heart needs to be thriving again. Our heart needs to be awakened. Because let me tell you this, even though the possibility of our heart has become hardened, I can guarantee you that our Heavenly Father's heart is just as broken and just as soft and just as compassionate as it was when Adam and Eve sinned against him in the garden as it is today. Do you think God looks at us and tires of us? No. He longs for that which is broken to be made new again. And so when Paul looked at Israel, he saw that they had exchanged their rights. They'd exchanged the privilege. They'd exchanged the blessing for a whole lot of other things. Have you ever felt like you've made a good deal on something? I mean, like a really good deal. Maybe you sold something on eBay, you know. You, you got it for free and you sold it for 50 bucks. And you're going, yeah, you know. Or you feel like you, you know, maybe you sold a car that you didn't quite tell them everything that was wrong with it, you know, and you just kind of got a sweet deal on that. And they called you, hey, so were the brakes going out when you had it? Uh, well, you know, you know, you, you know of course, you've got to confess and say the truth on that, but that's another point. Moving on. It is the fact, though, that sometimes we feel like we can make this great deal, exchange. There was a lawyer who had that thought. He's actually um, born in France, lived in France all of his days. His, his name was Andre Raffray. And, and in 1965, he kind of had this urge to own an apartment. I want to own an apartment for my family, and I want to own one in the downtown area, in the nicer area, but I don't want to pay the price for one of those apartments. I want to buy that apartment. I want to come up with another deal. And so he found an apartment, and then he found the right person in that apartment, which was a 90-year-old woman. 90 years old, and he thought, I'm, I think I can con her here. And so he got to know this 90-year-old woman, and as he began conversations, he developed this plan, and he decided that he would approach her with the contract, and, and he would butter up about how wonderful her apartment was, and so on and so forth. And so he said that, Mrs. Kalman, I, I, will, I will pay you $500 starting as soon as you sign this, a month for your apartment, for when you die, I will then own the apartment outright, no matter what I've paid. She took the deal. 
Now, he walked away smiling. I mean, he was like, man, this is great. I just, I just, I'm going to, she's like, what, maybe a few months, maybe a year or two, 500 bucks a month. I'll, this is going to come out great. I'm going to pay very, very little. He thought he had, he had the deal of the century. And so he began to pay. Month that turned into month, year turned into year. What he didn't realize was that Mrs. Kalman actually had some um, longevity in her DNA, and what nobody knew was that she would live to be 122 years old. <laughs> 122. You can Google her. You can find her. It's, a, it's an amazing story. So 122, 32 years. And this is the funny part. She outlived the lawyer. <laughs> he died. And by the court of law, by the court of law, the widow had to continue to pay her $500 a month because the contract had nothing to do with his death. It had everything to do with her death. And since she was still alive, she was still raking in the cash. He paid her $180,000 for an $80,000 apartment. Not the deal he thought he was making. And Israel was not making the deal they thought they were making. Understand this. They had received this incredible blessing. They had received that which anybody would have ever wanted. They had received the full attention of God. They were raised and for the purpose, for a great purpose that I'll we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But they were called sonships, uh, called into this, this relationship that was unique out of any other people on the face of the earth. Theirs was a divine glory. Theirs that God would come and lead them through the desert. Theirs was the covenants that God and promises that God made to these people that all people may be blessed. These people received the law. They worshiped God, worshiped in their midst, in their presence. It was the promises that they gave in the line of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God would come from the nation of Israel. What other nation in the world has ever been as blessed as them? There is none. And yet what they did is this. They decided that they would, they would grasp power. They would grasp authority. They would hang on to the things of this earth in exchange, in exchange for the Messiah. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 20. If, if he's telling the parable. You can go there yourself. I won't, I won't really go into it much, but he tells the story of how an owner of a vineyard has some uh, tenants that are to, to see over it, take care of it. And they decided they kind of owned it. And so when he would send servants, they would beat the servants up and send them away. Finally, he sent his son. And when they saw the son coming, they said, if we kill him, we will now inherit everything. And so they killed the son. And his response is, what should the owner do? How should, there, uh, how, how should the owner respond to these people who have killed the son? You see, they rejected it. They, they exchanged what they thought was for good and for glory, for their own shame. And, and instead of embracing Christ, when Christ shows up on their doorsteps, they just pushed him away. And they exchanged their glory for something very temporary. Paul had exchange in mind, if you stop and think about here. Paul said, I would exchange my salvation for their salvation. If only they would come to Christ. I would lay my life down in order that they would be saved. Man, you're talking about a heartbeat for the lost? <laughs> How many of us could say that about ourselves? I would, lay, I would give everything up. I would lay everything down for the sake of Christ. In order that my, my wife would know Jesus, I, I would walk away. In order that my my relatives and my cousins and my co-workers, I'd be willing to lay it all down if they would pick it up. 
That's an exchange. But see, even as Paul spoke those words, he knew it wasn't possible because he knew he wasn't the Savior. He knew that Jesus was sufficient for salvation for all people, for Israelites, for every tongue, for every tribe, for every nation. Jesus was sufficient. And what Paul really is echoing here is this exchange that Jesus himself gave. The totality of Jesus' time on earth was all about the exchange. Think about it. He exchanged greatness and his glory for human flesh. He, he exchanged heaven for earth. He exchanged power and that authority to be a servant. He, he exchanged holiness for sin. He exchanged his righteousness for our indebtedness. He exchanged his life for our death. Nothing would stop him because he was willing to exchange that all. And yet we here today have to process for, for you who are in Christ, are we exchanging the blessing of salvation for things of this earth? Do we care more about things that don't matter? Are we ever concerned at all about the salvation of others? Am I moved? Does it even cross my mind that the people I've worked with for 10 years don't know Jesus? Does it move me in my heart and break me and help me realize that you have been given the greatest blessing on earth that's greater than any, any riches, any job, any title, any status that you may chase after? Simply the, the realization that I've been given a blessing and that is to give that blessing away. You see, because when I read this text, it's all about God's initiative and God's purpose. When I look back at that, the text in Romans 9, I, I see all that listing that I read through there. And you notice none of it was what Israel did themselves. None of it. It was all about God's initiative. It was all about God's pursuing. It was all about God building up. It was all about God giving of the laws. It was about all what God provided. And he gave it with a purpose. When the nation of Israel was started, it started with Abram and it started with a promise. And it was that, in that promise, it stated the purpose of Israel. And it goes like this in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Did you catch the purpose? That through the nation, that they would be blessed. All peoples would be blessed. The purpose of the nation of Israel wasn't to set up their own kingdom, but it was to advance the kingdom that all nations would know the grace of God, the covenants of God, the hope of God, the love of Christ, that there was a Messiah to come. And yet what Israel did is they, they closed themselves in. They kept it from the nations. And folks, I'm too concerned about the church today has done nothing more than what Israel has done. We're more concerned about what's inside and what's happening here, and we've lost our concern for the lost. We've lost our, our heartbeat for that. We've become hardened to it, and we've forgotten that God has called us, raised us from the dead through Jesus Christ for purpose, and it is to bless it is to share, it is to reveal the hope of God in your home, in your neighborhood, to your neighbors. It doesn't matter, to, to, to really open our mouths and share Christ. And I say this not to beat you up, it's to beat me up because I've got, my heart has to be moved. As a church, and when I say church, what's our purpose? When I say church, it's not like leadership, I'm talking you. 
God redeemed you for purpose. And maybe you've never realized that. Maybe you are sitting here going, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought my purpose was to come and sit, listen, sing, give, and go home. If that's your thought, I just want to encourage you. It's bigger than that. Much bigger. And God wants to take our hearts and he wants to breathe life into it. And he wants to motivate us and move us and reveal people in your life. As a matter of fact, even right now, there's people that you know in your mind that I've even been, we've been talking about. The spirit has been going, yeah, this person, I've been, I've been meaning to say something. That phrase crossed your mind? I've been meaning one day. It's time that we realize that God has called us to carry out his work and to reach and to speak of him. It's okay. Oh no, everybody's not gonna like it. Not everybody's gonna listen to you. But what I'm telling you is that's why you become a follower of Christ. It's not just to share in the richness of the blessings of Christ himself, but to give that richness away so that the brokenhearted are no longer broken. So those who are longing to be made whole again, that can be made whole again. And you may be one of those this morning. You may be here and never given your life to Jesus Christ and you feel broken and you, know, you keep hearing this Jesus thing and how Jesus can restore you. And I want you to know there are plenty of people here that would be happy to share with you Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna say right now and challenge you, if you're sitting here this morning and you have questions about that, that you turn to the person to your left and your right and you ask them, those questions and I'm going to pray that the spirit is going to really inspire those left and right and go I'm willing to sit here and talk with you I'm willing to pray over you I'm willing to come around you and, and just uplift you because this is about God's business of restoring the brokenhearted and don't delay don't wait isn't it time that you just simply said I, I believe and I want to confess and I want to come into Christ you see God is working and wants to work in us and we need to be about his business we need to be living a life on purpose and intentional. In the, in the bulletin at the bottom, it just says, my prayer. I, 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 today's just another sermon, right? It's another hour out of many hours for many of you. But I want you to say today, I want you to just process through this. I want you to honestly say, Father, I just want, I just want to pray that you'd reveal to me what you want me to do. Who do, I, who do I need to reach? Who do I need to be broken over? Who do I need to really step out and sacrifice in order that they may come to know Christ? And to simply say, Father, I will do whatever you ask me. I will go wherever you call me to go. Because the brokenhearted, the broken world is waiting. And it's time for the church, the bride, to be very proud of her groom. Let us serve him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come today and I come before you and confess my own sin, my own hard-heartedness, and I ask you, Father, to please breathe new life into me. Destroy that which is hard. Let me see the way you see. Let me respond the way you desire for, to, to respond. And Father, let us as a church to rise up and to be intentional about being your people. Let us not, let us not forget what you have called us to do. Let us, let us take hold, Father, of this, this truth that we full, wholeheartedly believe in, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and whoever believes in him shall be saved, and that there's grace and there's hope and forgiveness. And so, Father, may that 
be our heartbeat this week. I pray that we'll be vulnerable before you, that we'll be open before you, and that, Father, we'll be patient, because I know there are some here, Father, that have been working hard to reach some people for a long time and have not given their life to the Lord. And I just pray, Father, that today will be a day of salvation, that they'll be patient in that, and that you are working in ways we cannot see. And so, Father, help us to be faithful day in, day out. Help us to be faithful hour by hour. And I pray, Father, that you'll do a great and mighty work as only you can do to restore the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name, amen.